You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, pages 1147. <clears throat> Paul has just written to the Corinthians and told them that they have to deal with the sexual immorality that's within their own congregation, not to judge the people of the world, but to judge those inside the church. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, if any one of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then go on into 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 and at verse 12, Paul has, is writing to the church, uh, explaining to them that uh, they've had a lot of trouble, that he's had trouble, that they've had trouble, there have been difficulties in their relationship as well, and he explains a little bit about some of the difficulties he has had. And then in verse 12, he comes on to this. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We've done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you've understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, I've entitled this um, Handling Conflict in the Church, subtitle Handling Conflict in the CU, subtitle Handling Conflict Amongst Your Friends. How do we cope and handle conflict? Now, despite my reputation, I hate conflict. And if you disagree with me, I'll fight you. No, I, 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 I hate, I, honestly, I hate conflict. When, when, when you get that phone call from somebody who says, I would like a word, and you know the tone, and you just think, let me get this over and done with. This is like the dentist. Let me get it quick as possible. Go there and just Let's, you know, and most of us, we hate conflict. There are some people who really like it or, or, or act as though they do, but most of us hate conflict. We hate conflict at home. 
We, we don't like it when we fight with our partners, when we fight with our children, when we fight with our parents. We hate it at work. If you're going into work tomorrow morning, you will feel ill tonight if you know that you're heading into a conflict situation. And in the church, we hate it. We absolutely hate it in the church. It makes us feel sick. It makes us feel ill. The fact is, there is going to be conflict. Because I am a sinner, and you are sinners, and we live amongst sinners in a sinful world. I like history. I have loads of history books. Not one of them doesn't have conflict. Every single one of them is full of conflict. Pick up a newspaper tomorrow, you will not pick up a newspaper that doesn't have conflict. Look at films, look at dramas, and so on. And the church is like that as well. Relationships with our fellow believers are a great joy, but also at times a great sorrow. Who hurts you the most? Who do you hurt the most? The people that you are closest to. Now, Paul is in this situation, and he's got a really important lesson for us, and that is that we need to learn how to handle conflict, not avoid it, not walk away, not take the huff, not fighting, but dealing with it in a Christ-like manner. And he gives here a great lesson from the early church. truly dreadful song from Nazareth entitled Love Hurts, Uh, and part of uh, the line in that is, it takes a lot of pain. And it does take pain. I would describe it in a church situation or in many relationship situations as what I would call the relationship stitch. Uh, I like, or I did like, you can tell I don't like now, I used to like running. And when I used to like long-distance running, And in long-distance running, usually for me, about the two-mile mark, you would get a stitch, and it would just rip your stomach, and you would want to stop. But if you just kept going, and it usually was about a minute or so, if you just kept going, then you would get over the stitch, and after that, you could run forever. What often happens in the church is that you, you, you come to a church, you're getting along in that church fine, you're getting on with people fine, and then something happens to somebody between you and someone that you like. And the, the t- danger is that it can be blown out of all proportion, or it can be ignored, or that relationship stitch can become a real wound. <clears throat> and it's better if that, of course, doesn't happen. Now, the situation with Paul here is this. He was being criticized for not getting things right in the church. He had a bit of a rocky relationship with this church, despite being its founder. He'd already had to write them a tough letter, and they just about had got over that when some new people came in and basically started dissing him. Worse, he promised them he was going to come, and he didn't. And in fact, this very famous passage on from here for the rest of chapter 1 is really dealing with that. They attacked him then. People within the church, the new people attacked him and those who were there. And Paul is writing to say, well, wait a minute. And when we, we go on and to look at verses 15 onwards, he was saying, look, did I say yes? And then no, was, you know, what, what is going on here? So he's trying to deal with that. But as I looked at this, I, I was going to take the whole passage together. But there, there's enough in these few verses to start with that really, really help us uh, in sorting this out. Paul 
they say, is weak. Paul is being hypocritical. Paul doesn't mean what he says. Paul keeps changing. Paul's not much of a pastor. He says he's going to come, then he doesn't. He is unreliable. Paul sent them a letter which had been misunderstood. They were hurt, so they hurt back. He got hurt. And this is then how he deals with that situation. And I learned a tremendous amount from this just looking at this, and I hope um, that you will as well, because it is very important. I'm going to look at the three verses. Verse 12, first of all. This is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relationships with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. Conscience is an interesting thing, isn't it? What is it? It is that means within us, it is God's mentor within us, which tells us when we are doing wrong. Now, conscience can be twisted. Conscience can be suppressed. Conscience can be, uh, as Paul says, seared as with a hot iron. Conscience can sometimes be wrong. But it is very, very important for us not to do what I, I, I observe a lot of Christians doing, which is ignoring their consciences. The Christian conscience should be educated by Scripture, by conduct, and by relationships. 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul says this, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hermenius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Later on in 1 Timothy 4, he says this, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. It was interesting that here were people whose consciences had almost become unfeeling, and so they became legalists. Because a conscience is a, is a hard thing to have. Sometimes I've found myself in a situation where someone has criticized me, and instantly I've gone, oh no, 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 you're not getting away with that, and I'm, 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 I'm defending myself. And then this still small voice of conscience in the back of your head says, hang on a minute, slow down. Maybe they've got a point. Oh no, that's just guilt, that's just guilt. And it's thrown away and it's just dismissed. But maybe it's the conscience. And we need to think about how we have a good conscience. Mark uh, Driscoll likes to use the phrase a lot. He talks about um, sleeping like a Calvinist. Uh, basically relying that God is in control. But I do think there is something within us that sometimes God will just not let rest. Sometimes we've just done something that's wrong and we need to confess it to God and maybe confess it to other people. So that we can boast like Paul. Paul says, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. That's an extraordinary thing to defend his holiness and sincerity. He doesn't say we're all sinners, we all get things wrong, which he believes. 
But he's saying, in this instance, what I'm talking to you about, my conscience tells me that we haven't done this. We haven't done what we are being accused of. We are to be holy and sincere people. I love the sincerity here is a compound word. It takes two words, the warmth or the light of the sun, and it takes the word to test and puts them together. And it's saying your, our, our, our consciences are tested, our lives are tested by this sunlight shining upon it. I tried to clean our kitchen windows yesterday and... Uh, following Connie's advice, you know, vinegar, malt vinegar, water, and newspaper. Now, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you take newspaper and, you know, scrub it? But anyway, apparently it works. So I'm standing up there precariously balanced on a, a stepladder outside the house and cleaning the window and getting all the dots and so on. And I come inside and I do the same thing. And I go, that is brilliant. What a great job. Annabelle is going to be so pleased with me until the sunlight came out. And I saw the streaks and the smears and everything. I went, oh, no. I just pray she comes back when it's dark. <laughs> that was, and it's, but it, it's not that bad a job. But you know what I mean. The light shines in and the light shows. And Paul says, look, the light shines. And our conscience tells us that we have conducted ourselves with sincerity. In chapter 2, verse 17 of this, he says, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. He says, we do not use worldly wisdom, the wisdom that's according to this world. Again, chapter 2, verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. What Paul is not doing here, he's not boasting about his, his <clears throat> innate holiness and serity. He's not boasting about himself. He's saying these things come from God. He's saying we are able to say that our conscience is clear on this because of the holiness and sincerity, look what he says, that are from God. They are from God. It's one of the great things about being a Christian. You know, a kind of, to me, a kind of false Christianity is, is the you know, the humble pie Christian, the one who says, oh, I'm just a miserable, rotten sinner, and I never do anything right, and I'm just... I don't believe you. I don't believe that you really, really think that. I don't believe that you're that stupid. I, most of us, there are things that we do that are right and that are good. There are. But what we have to do is recognize that anything we do that is right and is good comes from God. You know, I could, give, let me give a personal example. Um, my conscience tells me that this morning I preached the Word of God, that I taught was there in the Bible. It doesn't tell me I preached it perfectly. It doesn't tell me that it was the greatest sermon ever in the history of the world. I don't care. That's not the issue. The issue is, did I teach the Word of God? And the answer is yes. My, my conscience is clear on that matter. Do you want to know where my conscience is not clear? Private confessional afterwards. I'm not going to say it here. 
But we, as Christians, should be mature enough to be able to be honest and say, no, in this, my conscience is clear. In that, it's not. But in this, it is. And if it's clear, it's not because of my goodness, but it's because God is enabled. It's God's holiness. It's God's sincerity. So, in, in conflict resolution, if you like, there's the testimony of the conscience. Please do listen to your conscience. Judge it by Scripture. But conscience is God's law, if you like, written in your heart. The second is verse 13. The truth of clarity, I'm calling this. Being clear. We do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. The Greek words for to read and to understand come from the same root. And they are words that rhyme. And Paul is playing on these words, and he's basically saying, I say what I mean, I mean what I say. There is no reading in between the lines. He's saying to the Corinthians, you don't have to second guess me. You don't need an interpreter. I wrote things that you can understand. I wrote things that you can grasp. Now, There are such things as national characteristics or particular characteristics, and we see it in, in amongst people. And it's interesting for me traveling in different places and meeting different kinds of people. At the risk of being racist, let me illustrate this in this way about how we speak. In my experience, uh, Dutch people, like Germans, are very open and plain-spoken that can be very, very, very refreshing. Also, slightly disconcerting. I've told some of you the story before, but for me, it was the, it's the best example of it. Our friend's case rinks from the Netherlands that when we went to his house and uh, we had pizza and he said, would you like some more pizza? And I did that, that just incredibly British thing. No, thank you. No, thank you. That was very kind. And he just looked and said, why are you lying? You're a Christian. You're not supposed to lie. Do you think I don't have pizza? I have pizza. Would I offer you pizza if I didn't have pizza? So I have pizza, I offer it to you. You're hungry, you want pizza, why do you lie? If you don't want the pizza, don't have it. If you want the pizza, have it. But don't want the pizza and say, no, thank you. Don't play this game. Now, that's actually remarkably refreshing. Um, in the Dutch church, that, well, at least the church we're connected with in Haren and others, the elders meet about every three to six months with the minister and critique his sermon. And believe you me, it's not, well, it's very good, and this is really nice. No, I thought that was rubbish. I thought that Sunday was awful. I didn't think you told that right. And the minister takes it all. It's very blunt and very direct and very, very plain, and there can be problems with that as well. Sometimes British people, Scottish people, uh, and American people can be quite hard to interpret. There can be a kind of openness which seems to invite people to say whatever you think, but you end up trying to work it all out. What, 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 is, what are people saying? I mean, I love the southern U.S., but I have no idea how... I mean, I, I say things that, and, and people interpret them in just completely different ways. And it was Ligon Duncan who told me about the southern U.S. Is, he said, David, David, we just don't mean it. You have to know the code. You have to work it out. I think this is what Paul is speaking about here. I think he is, he is telling us that we need to be much more open, much more straight, and much more direct. Not rude, 
but we, we need to be plain in what we are saying. There is often a lack of openness at times. It's not that we don't talk. It's just that either we talk to ourselves, we mumble to ourselves, we talk to our friends, we talk to our families, we talk to those who th- we think will agree with us. We don't talk to the people that we're having the problems with. And as a result, we often keep our problems, keep our doubts, keep our fears to ourselves. We are outwardly sincere, but it can become duplicitous. And then we have a real problem. We can't cope when someone speaks plainly. So someone tells you something straightforward, very simple, and because you're so used to reading between the lines, you multiply it. You, you, you hear and see something else. We read between the lines and make it ten times worse. There's a, uh, a song that I thought was very appropriate this. And it is about word games, the games people play now, every night and every day now, never meaning what they say now, never saying what they mean, talking about you and me and the games people play, or we make one another cry, break a heart, then we say goodbye, cross our hearts and we hope to die, that the other was to blame, neither one will give in, so we gaze at our eight by ten, thinking about the things that might have been. It's a dirty, rotten shame, people walking up to you, singing glory, hallelujah, and they're trying to suck it to you in the name of the Lord." We get in so much trouble because we second-guess people, because we put two and two together and make five. And I was just thinking of loads of examples of the way that I have done that, the way that I do that, that I I hear someone say something and say, okay, well, what they really meant was this. I've also found myself getting in enormous trouble and thinking, what did I say? Did I say something that was... And then I realized it's not what I've said, it's what they've heard. They've put two and two together, and, and they've made five or 50 or whatever. And that's why Jesus says simply, Matthew five thirty seven, let your yes be yes and your no, no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. I think it's a very good idea for Christians to hear what someone says and not to read into it a whole lot of other stuff and not to speak into code. I think that um, we would get on a lot better with one another if we did that. There are times when you want to say something and it's better for you to keep quiet until you calm down or better for you not to say anything because it may be relatively trivial or you just don't know how to handle it, and so on. That's fine. But we mustn't speak code to one another all the time. I was involved in something recently. I'll give you, I was trying to think of an example, and this is probably the best example I, I can think of. I was involved in something recently, not in, involving St. Peter's, but just in, involving a, a couple of other Christian groups. And uh, I turned up, and I was asked, what did I think about something? And I said, um, I think it's really good. I think there are going to be problems here, but I think, you know, this church is, is such and such. And it caused an absolute furore, not at the time, but afterwards, you know, meetings and everything else. I think, what, what did I say? What did I do? And the answer is, 
that people went away and talked about it and said, ah, well, he really meant this, and it must have meant this, and it was really a kind of warning to say, don't get involved with this, or don't... No, it wasn't. It was just an opinion that was expressed in answer to a question, and people took it up and, and multiplied it and talked about it and coded it. We have to be really, really careful that we are clear in what we say, that we, we are not duplicitous in what we say. Sometimes, keep quiet. Sometimes, speak the truth, but always make sure it's in love. But always be clear. Don't expect people to understand the codes and the signals. You know, you, you do have that in a family, don't you? Um, you? Our family, for example, you invite a lot of people for dinner, and uh, those of you who've grown up in Mances, you'll recognize some of this. Um, there's a code, which is basically um, FHB, family hold back. You just realize you haven't made enough food or whatever. And you, 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 there's a code, there's a, a way of doing things. I think that we need to be really careful in our context in the church that we are very plain in what we say. But then the last is simply this, verse 14. I hope that as you've understood us in part, you'll come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Can I say, I appreciate immensely when people have been very plain and have said things, even though at the time you just wish, well, I wish you hadn't said that, that was so hurtful and so on. No, it's better that it's straight up and plain and direct. But Paul goes on beyond that, and he's thinking of the day of the Lord, and he's thinking of the day of judgment and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he's saying, I want to boast. Why boast? 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospels in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul is saying, we want you to understand us so that you can boast about us. And we are going to boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus despite all the troubles that are in the church, because we came and we preached the gospel and you believed, and it's tremendous what's happened in your church. And yes, there've been all kinds of problems and difficulties, but we are just so glad that you belong to the Lord and we boast about you. Calvin points out here that Paul does not oppose himself to God in his boasting. Paul does not rely on his integrity for his salvation. Paul ascribes his integrity as a gift of God. God did marvelous things in their life. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great per perseverance. Paul was able to boast of them. You used to be like this, but we read this in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 
But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What do we boast about? We, we boast about ourselves. We boast about th- things that elevate us. Paul says we need to start thinking not what is best for me, but what is best for God's people. To boast about other Christians. To boast about how God is working in a place. And boasting is, is not, we, we do have it as a very negative word, but here it's not a negative word. Here it's a very, very positive thing. It is rejoicing in what the Lord is doing in other people's lives. I am very prone, and I suspect some of you are very prone, to see the negative. It's interesting, isn't it? If somebody in the church does something really bad, you'll all know about it very quickly. The grapevine will go like that. I have this fear that if something really good happens, it doesn't move so quickly. It doesn't push so quickly. It's not gossiped about so quickly. We don't boast of it. Why? Because something within us, something sinful within us, is almost, it's almost like, oh, got them. They did something bad. They did something. And then when something is, does somewhat, something really good, people almost want to, to put it down. And Paul says to us, don't do that. Don't think like that. So I'll apply this in terms of three suggestions, how we deal with conflict and how we ourselves live. And there are three suggestions that for me are incredibly personal uh, because I'm so tempted to do the opposite or to twist this. Number one, live honestly with sincerity. Just be real. Just be honest. You can't do something, you can't do it. You're frustrated and angry about something, you're frustrated and angry about something. You're discouraged and depressed, you're discouraged and depressed. You're happy and joyful, you're happy and joyful. You're really glad about something you've done. Don't do the false humility thing. Just be real. Live honestly with sincerity. Don't fake it. Don't pretend. Acknowledge our consciences. I have been thinking about this a lot, and This may be just entirely me. You may be completely different from this. But I do tend to just say, no, 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 conscience, put that away. I need, um, it's the Word of God and so on. But the Word of God speaks to my conscience. And there are times that we need to switch off all the noise that drowns out our consciences and just stop and think, Lord, why do I feel this way? Is, is, is my conscience here wrong or is it right? And my guess is that most of us should go along with our consciences. I think that is what the, the emphasis is on the teaching is here, that we want clear consciences and good consciences. We acknowledge our consciences. And sometimes it may be something that you've done a long, long time ago that you know what you have to do? You, you have to go to that person. You have to say, look, I am really, really sorry. I did this. I told this lie about you. 
I stole this, I cheated on this, I can't have it any longer on my conscience. We acknowledge our consciences. And the third is this, we live according to God's grace, not worldly wisdom. See, what you and I keep trying to do is we keep trying to fix things. We keep trying to sort things out. We keep trying to deal with things. And it never works. You tell one lie, you end up telling another lie to cover up the first lie, and another 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 lie. And you just get yourself enmeshed in this absolute mess. And sometimes in our, we just have to say, no, I'm not going to live by that. I'm going to be honest. So, did you do this? Yeah, I did this. And I'm living by God's grace, not by worldly wisdom. And I pray that you can forgive me. Did you do what I asked you to do? No, I didn't do that. And I got it wrong, and I'm really, really sorry. But I'm wanting to live by God's grace, not try to excuse my way out of it or get my way out of it. I remember um, once I was in a situation where um, somebody was accusing me of something, and they were right. They were absolutely right. And somebody else wanted to help me, and they said, ah, but you were tired when you said that. And I honestly had to say, no, I wasn't. And even if I was, it wasn't an excuse. I said something that was wrong. And there was a kind of shock silence. Maybe they were just shocked I admitted I'd said something that was wrong, but there was a kind of shock silence. And then there was a statement, but you've done that before. And then this just hit me about this living according to God's grace. I just thought, yes, and how many times do you forgive your brother? It's not three strikes and you're out. It's 70 times seven. And that's probably in a single day. We live according to the grace of God, not according to worldly wisdom. We can't all be as gifted as Paul, but we can all be men and women of integrity. And we can honor one another, rejoice in one another, and rejoice in God. I think this is a matter of integrity and a matter of maturity. And we need to grow up. We need to be a lot more mature in our relationships and a lot more open and a lot more honest and a lot more real and a lot more forgiving and a lot more graceful. And please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Nothing I am saying here is kind of like, okay, and this is, please don't do this. Don't do the read between the lines thing. Oh, he's having a wee go at me because. No, I haven't a clue about you. I, most of you, I haven't a clue what you've done this past week and so on. And if God is speaking to you through his word and speaking to your conscience, listen to what he says. What I am saying here is something that I preach to myself because I, I, I look at how Paul handles this and I think, that's wonderful. That instead of defending myself or instead of attacking other people, I'm looking to be able to, on the day of judgment, boast about fellow believers and rejoice in what God is doing. Even in the midst of a church situation which was so confused and dysfunctional and twisted and wrong as Corinth was. And I want that to be where we are at, that we are sincere and that we are for real and that we are mature and that we speak to one another the truth in love and so reflect the gospel and the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
It is not good to play games anywhere, and it is not good to play games in the Christian church. Be humble, realize that you, you and I can get things wrong. Be gracious, be open, be honest, be plain. Write things that are not in code, speak things that are not in code, and above all, let love cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, we delight in being your people. We rejoice that your gospel has come to us. We rejoice for your blessing upon us individually and as a church. But we do confess, our God, that we are so often uh, people who sow confusion and hurt amongst ourselves that it doesn't even take the devil to do it. He can just use us. And so we ask forgiveness for that. And we pray you would give us clear consciences. And we pray that you would give us open hearts and open minds, that you would grant us humility, and that when we speak, we would speak graciously and truthfully, that we would use words to build up and not to destroy. And, O oh Lord, we pray that um, we would be honest and that we would have integrity and that people would know us in our lives together as a church, in our work, in our families, as men and women of truth and sincerity. And our God, we know that that is not easy because like the psalm we were singing about, it's so easy for us to be deceitful and duplicitous and to hide our faults behind our words and behind other people. And so we just pray that you would work a work of grace and of love and a work of deep repentance and understanding within each and every one of us. And I pray for anyone here who may not know you that even as they hear about this conscience and truth and love, that they would be drawn to see that without you, it is impossible to have that. So we ask that you would grant it to us and bless us in this coming week that we would live for your glory in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.